This is Andrew Wilkes. This is Leah Wilkes. And this is Theology on Fire. Hey everyone, welcome back. In today's episode, we are going to be speaking about the Old Covenant. This is a very important topic. It's a very important subject for every believer to understand. Um, We are no longer under the Old Covenant, but it is very important because we can never fully understand what Jesus has done for us on the cross and what He's purchased for us until we understand the covenant that God gave to Moses and to the people of Israel. Yeah, it's one of those biblical terms. It can really be just thrown around Old Covenant, New Covenant, but it is something that really needs to be sat down and explained to you. You know, we hear it a lot in sermons, maybe in different churches. and So a covenant is a contract or a promise or an agreement, right? Absolutely. And maybe you've heard that marriage is a covenant, and that would be true. Um, So whenever we say it's an old covenant, we're saying that this is not the newest one that was given, but this was an older contract promise or agreement that was given, and this one was very specific to the people of Israel. And we see Jesus talking about the new covenant, which we'll dive into next week here at the Last Supper. He says in Luke 22, 20, that he took the cup and he says this, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So we can see there that he's drawing a distinction between what he did and the previous covenant, the old covenant. So let's build on this understanding of the old covenant. Let's really introduce it a bit more. So to understand the Old Covenant, we have to know that this didn't just come out of nowhere. God didn't just say, bloop, here's a covenant. It came to people that God already had a relationship with. And the way he had a relationship with these people, the Israelites, was through a man named Abraham. So before the Old Covenant, God made a covenant with Abraham, and that was called the Abrahamic Covenant. So Leah, why don't you read Genesis 12, 1 through 5 for us. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's this man named Abram. And God speaks to him, and he calls him to leave his homeland. And Abram obeys God and goes to the land of Canaan. So, Leah, why don't you pick up in verse 7 of that chapter. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. And God actually speaks twice more to Abram that we have recorded. Genesis thirteen fourteen through 17, it says this, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot, that's his nephew, had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And then in Genesis fifteen five, And he brought him outside, this is God bringing Abraham outside, and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So this is a promise of God 
to Abraham, saying he's going to bless him and create a people out of him, a nation. And this is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. That's right, Abrahamic covenant. And so in this covenant, God promises to be Abraham, Abraham's God, to bless him, protect him, to give him many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, uh, give him the land of the Canaanites to him and to his descendants, to bless every nation of the earth through Abraham. And it's through Abraham's seed that Jesus Christ would come, who would give his life on the cross for all the world, and all the world through him can receive that blessing of salvation. And of course, it's not just to Abraham. We have to remember this key point here. It's to Abraham and his seed after him. But it's just to differentiate. This is not the old covenant, which we are talking about. This is a different covenant. And we just want to make that clear because I think sometimes people, including myself, can get these two confused and mixed up. So this is separate. This is the Abrahamic covenant. And we're going to go on to talk about the old covenant. That's right. So this was an agreement that God made with Abraham himself. So Abraham has this promise now. And 430 years after this promise has been made, we have Israel, the seed of Abraham, and they're in Egypt. But instead of being blessed, they're being persecuted. They're making bricks. They are slaving away, literally, because that's what they are. They are servants of the Egyptian people. And it says this in Exodus 2, 23 and 24. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And it's so interesting, it says, and God knew. It's like, it's, it's so dramatic, almost like a film. This promise that he had with Abraham, he remembered it that he was going to bless this seed and give them the land of Canaan. Right, and we a lot of us know the story. God sends a man, he sends Moses and his brother Aaron to declare their freedom from Egypt. God performs mighty signs and wonders, and Pharaoh finally relents and releases Israel from bondage. And God parts the Red Sea, and now Israel is free from the land of Egypt. They are no longer slaves. That's right, and it's really important to understand all this background between Abraham and where Israel was, and they're being freed from Egypt, because this is what's going to now bring us to the scene, to the mountain, where God is going to give Israel, the people of Israel, who number several million now, because they've just multiplied over these hundreds of years, very fruitful, and God's going to give them the Old Covenant now. So something we need to also know here is that these people have been in Egypt for 400 years. That's nearly a half millennium. I mean, they are influenced by Egypt. Egypt mm-hmm. is inside of them. Egypt is formed their thinking. Sure, they've had their own subculture within that nation, but they have been really pressed and molded into Egypt. And Egypt was under demonic powers, under the occult and the worship of multiple gods. And that's what the plagues of God were showing. Mm -hmm. These demon powers are nothing compared to Yahweh, the one true God, these false gods, these little G gods, they are Mm -hmm. nothing. And God made an open show of them, showed that he was the one true God. 
And so we find ourselves in Exodus 19, 1 through 9. So why don't you read that for us, Leah? On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There, there Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And here we have the introduction of the Old Covenant. Now, for these people, it wasn't old. It was fresh for them. It was something newer than the Abrahamic Covenant. But it's not the New Covenant now because we're much further on in history than they were. And so, as it goes on, it says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. And there we see the agreement, right? That's the meaning of the word covenant. God says, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to give you these commandments. And then Israel responds back, we will obey. They're entering into an agreement here. So from Exodus chapter 24, we see the giving of the Ten Commandments and other laws. God gives a priesthood. These are going to be the people who offer sacrifices for the people of Israel. And there's a tabernacle. And this is going to actually be the place where God's presence is going to dwell. And this is going to be a place that that Moses enters into many times to commune with God. And uh, this is, it's very exciting. I know it's very detailed. But when you think that God himself, he's going to manifest his presence to a people, that is really, really exciting. And then we see in Leviticus many more laws for the Jewish people. There we have a list of annual festivals and holy days and instructions for animal sacrifices to provide a covering for this different sin. So that's important to know. We see that God meets them on the mountain. He breaks out all of these laws through Exodus and Leviticus. And we're going to give a summary here, but if you're not familiar with it, I would suggest going through it and reading it. And you know, you might feel like, ah, I'm getting a little bit bogged down, but I want to challenge you to do something. Just take time, read through it, or what you could do to supplement that or help is turn on the audio Bible while you're driving, because I know for me, it's really helped sometimes to listen maybe in a fresher version than you're used to listening to, uh, maybe ESV or, or, or CSB. These, these are two good ones here um, that we have in America. Um, you can listen to it as well over in Britain. We might have a few different pronunciations, but it's not a big deal. But listen to it and then just really take it in and you'll have a better grasp for what God was telling these people. So let's give you a summary of what the old covenant is from God's perspective. So, um, one of the first things is, is God is saying, I am holy and I cannot tolerate sin and I must judge it. And because you are sinful, I cannot dwell with you. My presence cannot dwell with you because of your sin. 
Amen. So he's going to give them a system of laws. And he tells them, if you break my laws, I will require the shedding of blood. And that's so important to remember because everything in the old covenant and all these laws, they're all a picture of what's to come. And they're all a picture of Jesus. That's what can make reading some of these books in the Old Testament so much richer is if you just bear Jesus in mind and, and what he has done and how this is all a picture of him. So he's, he requires the shedding of blood to cover sins. Uh, this is animal sacrifices. That's right. Their life in place of your life. They'll receive your judgment you deserve on themselves. And that truly points to Jesus. And God says that if you continue in this covenant of laws and sacrifices, if you keep your end, my presence will be with you and all the blessings that that was going to bring will be with you. And that no other nation would have God's presence at that time. Only Israel as she was walking with God. Right, that was gonna. That was what was gonna make them a peculiar people, one that would stand out special. And God said, if you fail to keep this covenant of laws and sacrifices, you're gonna forfeit the blessings of my presence brings, and judgment is going to come upon you. And we see that so many times in the Old Testament that when you see people like Isaiah and Jeremiah, or as Isaiah. And Jeremiah's lead would say, they're calling the people back to that covenant and warning them of judgment to come because they abandoned God. And so to close on that summary of the old covenant, basically it is something that though they keep the law and make these sacrifices, it never puts them in a place where God is fully pleased with them and in them, but it does secure his blessings and his presence but they'll always need to offer more. It's never going to be enough. There are so many sacrifices for so many things and yearly sacrifices and et cetera, et cetera. And so it's, it was never, ever a complete sacrifice at this point. That's right. In that covenant, it's summed up very well in Romans 3, verse 20. It says this, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The, the law was meant to expose the sinfulness of man, not to make him justified or fully righteous before the eyes of God. Amen. And so, Leah, why don't you read these few other scriptures here? Um, so we see all of these things that God wanted to do between himself and Israel, but you mentioned it earlier, you touched on it, Israel being a peculiar people. Israel's relationship to God through the law, it was really meant to be a witness mm -hmm. to lost nations. Why don't you read that for us? Right. So in Deuteronomy chapter 4, this is verses 1 and 2, it says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I have commanded you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. And then going on in verses 5 through 8, it says, See, I have taught you the statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, 
Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? And you know who I think of right then is during the reign of Solomon, there was a woman named the Queen of Sheba, mm-hmm. and she visited, and it says, oh, it's so exciting. Whenever she saw the way her min- the minister served, when she saw the temple, when she saw everything, she was breathless. It left her absolutely breathless to see God working in that place. Yeah, and when, when even now today when people see a body of Christ or you in your workplace just living unto the Lord— it, they can't help but marvel just like the, those other nations did. Like, wow, surely their God is close to them. Surely their God is righteous and good and true. Amen. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, unfortunately, for the most part, Israel has been a bad testimony to God and not a good one. And this is not our words. This is the words of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Romans 2.24. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The majority of Jewish people today are actually not uh, even following the law of Moses. A large number, especially in Israel proper, are agnostic or atheist or into the new age, although a lot of them, they still keep the Passover, which is just a fulfillment of prophecy because we're told in the Old Testament that the Passover was going to keep going on and on and on forever. And so I think it's somewhere I heard around 80% of Jewish people, even non-believing Jews, they still at least follow that Passover. It's just amazing. But even with that, Israel was, you know, not a great testimony and they were faithless and they grumbled so much. But God, his testimony was perfect. He was consistently faithful and persistent and caring and leading all of the time. Amen. He said, my arm's not so short, it can't save. I'm reaching for you, Israel. Turn back. Repent. I love you like a husband loves his wife. Come back to me. You've been unfaithful, but come back to me even now. You could just hear the mercy of God through the prophets calling out to her again and again and again. So I want to end this with a question. And I want to, I really want to pose it to you, the listener, because your Christian life is going to be deeply affected by how you answer this. Are you under the law still? Can I be made right with God by keeping the law? Is he pleased if I keep all 10 commandments? Is, is, that, is that what I'm living under or, or more even from, that I've pulled out from the Old Testament? Or do I keep the law to be saved? And to help you answer that question, let me read the scripture to you. It's Romans three, twenty to 22. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Amen. And just to break that down, verse 20 says, It's through the law, it comes the knowledge of sin. 
In America, we have something called Miranda rights. Whenever a police officer arrests you, they say this, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. And I've recently learned that what you say can only be used against you. It can never be used to help you. And I think that's a really good natural example of the law. The law can be used against you only to give you knowledge of sin, but it could never make you fully right in that positive side of the relationship of God, positive righteousness. Mm -hmm. And so the righteousness of God, it's apart from the law. You can never be made righteous by the law because if you could have, Jesus never would have come to die on the cross. It says that he took it. Oh, I don't want to skip ahead, but it is just so exciting. And we are going to break this out, but it says that he took the law, the ordinances and the commands, and he nailed them to the tree. Jesus Christ fulfilled it all. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So believer, don't try to keep the law. You cannot please God through it. It's only through the new covenant of Jesus Christ, that God is satisfied with your life. It's just like Abraham. He believed God, and God counted it unto him as righteousness. So, Lord God, we just thank you for this. We thank you for the beauty, the holiness, the righteousness, the perfection that is in the old covenant that you gave to that people. You revealed yourself to a people that had become so pagan in Egypt your righteousness and holiness. And we marvel at you, Lord. And Lord, we could never keep your law because it declares us all sinners and declares the death penalty over our lives. But thank you that through Christ, the new covenant, we have eternal life. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Theology on Fire. Please subscribe so you won't miss new episodes. All of our information and contact details can be found at theologyonfire.org.